My Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel, I'm the Tolkien Geek, and back on February 26th of 2022, I believe it was, the Tolkien Estate updated their website, and it was a really major overhaul, and one of the things that they did was added a bunch of material to their FAQ section, and the Tolkien-related internet subsequently went nuts, because a lot of the FAQs related to things like copyright and trademark infringement, and... It the FAQs really kind of read like the Tolkien estate was going to start coming down hard on people using copyrighted or trademark things related to Tolkien, and so people promptly started saying things like, can we even use the word Tolkien anymore? Because Tolkien, as it happens, is a registered trademark owned by the Tolkien estate. So what I'm going to do in this video is give a little bit of background on the copyright and trademark ideas, go through the website FAQ, at least the relevant portions for this kind of stuff, and give some idea of how much we should actually be worried about all of this. I mean, obviously people like me who make Tolkien content on the regular on YouTube potentially have a lot more to worry about than some other people might, but overall the point here is anybody who is involved in any kind of Tolkien-related activity might potentially be impacted by this stuff. So I'm going to look at what the impacts potentially are, whether we actually have to worry about them, that sort of thing. Now, before I get into it, I have to give the official disclaimer. I am a licensed attorney, but I do not practice intellectual property law. I know some stuff about copyright and fair use because I kind of have to for YouTube purposes. I know less about trademark um, and nothing that I say in here is going to be legal advice, and I am not giving you anything like even a thumbnail sketch of a real intellectual property course. So don't take this as like the be-all, end-all of explanations for this kind of stuff. I'm really focusing on what the Tolkien estate is saying how serious we need to take it in light of some basic, basic stuff about copyright and trademark law, and that's really it. I should also state, of course, that I have no knowledge of how copyright and trademark work outside of the U.S. legal system. I don't know how British trademark and copyright work at all, so to the extent that the Tolkien estate is basing anything they say on what British law is versus what American law is, I have no idea how to comment on that. So I'm going to be talking about this from an American perspective. Obviously, if you live in a different jurisdiction, you know, consult your own resources on that. So that said, let's take a look at, first of all, some basics on copyright and trademark law. So the first thing to note is copyright and trademark are related, but not the same. The copyright is specifically the right to copy, naturally, a written or other kind of authored work. And that can be artwork, it can be cinematography, it can be written works, it can be anything that really involves creative expression is what it's going for. It's not supposed to protect things like processes, ideas, things of that nature. That really starts to get more into the realm of patents, because patents are about protecting the right to use or sell useful things. Copyright is about protecting the right to copy or use creative or artistic things. 
Trademark is a slightly different animal in that it protects the reputation of the person who owns the trademark. So the idea is if you have a trademark, say, what's a really famous one, right? Disney. Disney, the Disney name is trademarked. And the reason it's trademarked is everybody associates the Disney brand with a certain kind of thing. You think of animated princess movies or something like that. I mean, Disney obviously does more than just that. But the idea is you can't, as somebody outside of Disney, use the Disney brand and then besmirch the brand by your use of it, by selling either cheap knockoffs or whatever it is. That's really the point of trademark. Copyright is you don't get to make money off of somebody else's artistic endeavor by just copying or reusing their stuff. Copyright also does involve the right to produce what's called derivative works. So if Tolkien writes a book called The Hobbit, he has the rights not only to copy and sell The Hobbit, he also has the rights to either greenlight or not any movie adaptations thereof. Now, copyrights and select portions of them, of course, can be sold, which is why we have Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies. A long time ago, Tolkien sold the rights to make movies based on his works, and that's why we have multiple iterations of that, you know, in modern day where we are now. So, you can sell, for example, the copyright to make the movie without selling the copyright to the original work. So, that's kind of a licensing thing, really, is what that is. Similarly, with trademark, you can kind of do a similar thing in that, for for instance, McDonald's has a trademark, obviously, in McDonald's, but they franchise that out, and they have certain levels of control over their franchisees. It's not really a license in the same way that a copyright license might be, but it's a similar kind of idea. Now, both copyright and trademark in the U.S. have their exceptions. One of the most famous exceptions for copyright, and the one that most YouTubers and other people rely on, is the fair use exception. And the fair use exception is basically you can use a copyrighted material to some degree if it falls into a realm where four different factors favor the copyright user as opposed to the copyright holder. So one of the factors is the character and purpose of the used copyrighted material. Are you using it basically just to reproduce it and give it to somebody else, or are you doing it in the form of, you know, doing some kind of commentary on it, a parody? A classic example of a fair use is a parody, because you're not exactly reproducing it, you're making fun of the original thing. Another factor is how much of the thing did you use? If I take a small clip out of the Lord of the Rings movie, as I've done before, and put it in one of my videos, I'm not reproducing the entire movie. It doesn't substitute for the movie itself, and that's a good indicator that it's a fair use. There's other elements to this, so I don't want to get in too much detail, but the general purpose of the exception for fair use is... I am not in any way really infringing on the market for the original copyrighted material. So I am not damaging the ability of the copyright owner to make money off of the copyrighted material. If I make a video where I am talking about the Peter Jackson movie and I use selected clips and things like that, or if I talk about, say, Howard Shore's musical score and how he did certain things with the score to you know, enhance 
certain aspects of the storytelling, I am commenting on it and I am not really just repackaging the thing and selling it to somebody, thereby undercutting the ability of the copyright owner to make money off of the copyrighted thing. Trademark similarly has a not so much an exception as a general rule of what it's about. As I mentioned, the trademark is designed to protect the person who owns the trademark from having the reputation of the brand undermined. So if I'm using the trademark, but I am in no way likely to be confused with the person who actually owns the trademark, so if I use the name Tolkien as I do in my channel name, it's Tolkien Lore, the Tolkien Lore channel or the Tolkien Lore podcast, if you get me by, by podcast, I'm not going to be confused with the Tolkien estate or you know whoever owns that registered trademark because... I'm clearly not selling any of Tolkien's writings. I'm not reproducing any of Tolkien's artwork. I am not doing any of those things. I am providing commentary on the various things that Tolkien produced and Tolkien himself. I'm not doing anything that would really be confused with the actual trademark owner in this instance. So you can use the name of Tolkien without doing it in a way that confuses the people who are out there looking for Tolkien stuff to buy or, you know, knowing about the Tolkien brand in general. And as long as that confusion doesn't happen, you're kind of safe. Now, again, that gets into various different factors, you know, how well known is the brand? What is it known for? You know, different things like that. Legal analysis can take you into all kinds of different channels, and that's part of the reason why I don't provide legal advice, and no lawyer ever does, via a YouTube channel, because there's always too many factors and facts in an individual case that you have to look at. So, this is just a really broad overview. With that said, now we can start to look at what the Tolkien estate has put on their FAQ and get an idea of what they're trying to do, whether it fits within... U.S.-based, at least, copyright and trademark law, and to what extent they might be posing any potential threats to people out there making Tolkien-related content. So our first FAQ reads, Can I make copies of Tolkien's artworks for other purposes? Answer. Tolkien's original drawings, paintings, maps, designs, scripts, and other graphic works are protected by copyright and may not be, may not be copied. The Tolkien estate takes action against parties who try to commercialize Tolkien's works, including maps of Middle-earth, the One Ring inscription, and other images. So, this is really just kind of standard boilerplate copyright language. It's like, you can't use copyrighted material. Now, obviously there's a sense in which that's an overly broad statement, because yes, you can use copyrighted material if you have an exception, like fair use. So... An example of this is, I believe one, I don't remember which channel it was, and I don't want to call them out, but somebody used to use the ring inscription, and I think several people did, but then the Tolkien estate kind of got on to him about it, and they were like, uh, you can't do that, and so a lot of people stopped using it. I never have, so that's never been a problem for me particularly, but you do have this particular issue of, can you use the ring inscription as a copyrighted thing, or is that fair use. And it's like, well, tricky question. Maybe, maybe not. You know, if, if you got down to a legal case and you sued over it, you know, it might go either way. But that's an example of something that might be fought over if it really came down to it. Now, do I think that that's strictly 
um, fair use if somebody uses it in their their channel emblem or whatever. That really is kind of a tricky one. I tend to think it's probably fine, but you know, it's it's not something you really want to risk your entire channel over, and it's better to just not fight that battle if you don't have to. Second FAQ. Can I use a Tolkien image in marketing or promoting my goods or services or for event an event? Hmm. Can I use a Tolkien image in marketing or promoting my goods or services or for an event I'm holding? Answer, the Tolkien estate does not give permission for use of its copyright works in these situations. This policy extends not only to commercial activities, but also those which are charitable and not for profit. And this is another thing that a lot of people get wrong about copyright, by the way. Just because you're not making money off the copyright material doesn't mean you're not violating the copyright. Because as I said earlier, if if you're still kind of undermining the market for the copyright material, that's still really what the copyright is designed to protect. So if I just started making copies of the Lord of the Rings and giving them away, I'm still infringing on the copyright, even though I'm not making any money off of it. In fact, I'm coming out behind because I'm having to spend money making the copies. Whether I make money off it is not the point. So that's you know something that you need to get clear in your heads about all this copyright stuff. Now, again, here, this one is pretty boilerplate, it's kind of standard copyright. It's like, you can't use copyright stuff to, you know, market your own things or whatever. That's pretty standard. I don't think that's really telling us anything that we didn't already know. I mean, whether or not the Tolkien estate was ever vigorously enforcing that may be in question, and whether they're going to more vigorously enforce it in the future may be in question, but... Like, I don't think that really tells us anything new about what rights they had to stop anything. So, again, I don't think this one's a big deal. Number three. How do I set up an official Tolkien club or society? Answer. Tolkien clubs and societies require a license to use the Tolkien name, which is a registered trademark. The estate will consider, amongst other things, the proposed objects, constitution, and management of the club or society when determining whether a license will be granted. Now, of course, we all know that the Tolkien society is a thing. Uh, presumably, then, they have a license to use the name Tolkien in their name. So, they were created back when Tolkien was still living, and he's been their honorary president literally, I think, their entire existence. So, possibly Tolkien himself gave him the permission to use the name. Uh, but at any rate, this is an area where the registered trademark issue comes up. It's like, do you have the right to just use the Tolkien name for something that you do, and it's like, well, the Tolkien estate actually, I mean, the Tolkien society, rather, does actually do the kinds of things that you would associate with Tolkien and his works. They examine his works, they, you know, look into all this stuff, they do philological stuff, they do a lot of things that potentially you could confuse with the owner of the, you know, the trademark. So, arguably, that's an issue, I don't know if it would strictly be necessary because, again, it's not like they're doing the business that the Tolkien estate does or Tolkien himself did. Whether that's actually something that would be required under trademark, maybe this is a distinction between British and U.S. law. I don't know. Um, but, again, merely using the name of Tolkien is not going to violate this rule because trademark doesn't say if I trademark, you know, whatever name... 
that therefore nobody else can ever use that name for any purpose in any circumstance whatsoever. That's that's not true. And this is where we have to be a little bit careful. The FAQ in, in a lot of these cases is giving very short questions and short answers, which by nature cannot be nuanced. And, of course, the Tolkien estate can't really provide a full legal analysis of every answer they give in these things either. So we have to read every one of them with a little bit of a grain of salt in terms of, you know, are they giving like a general rule or a hard line, we're never doing this, this, this. I tend to think probably it's more of a general rule type situation because otherwise they're saying things that can't really be followed up on realistically because there's simply not any way to enforce it to that degree because that's that's like saying that if I trademark the name Tolkien literally nobody can ever use it in conversation that's not the case so again this one is not a big deal I don't think number four can I organize a Tolkien event or festival answer while the Tolkien estate encourages interest in J.R.R. Tolkien's works, the name Tolkien is a registered trademark and may not, be, may not be used for the promotion of an event or festival without permission. Now again, this is not saying you can't hold a Tolkien event. It's saying you can't use the name in association with the event. And the idea there is if you hold a Tolkien event and you use the name Tolkien, is it going to reflect badly on the name of Tolkien or the Tolkien estate? So again, this is where it kind of comes up with the whole thing of are you being is the trademark there to protect the 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 trademark holder is there actually confusion of you know in this case would it would it be perceived as the trademark owner approving of the thing being held under that name that trademark name so that's an area where you could see why maybe that's kind of legitimate now you can hold a Tolkien event and not use the name Tolkien in the name of the event, and that's really darn easy. Now, there's other trademark terms, of course. Various other terms have been trademarked by various different entities. Middle Earth, I believe, is actually trademarked, which is kind of strange because Middle Earth is really just an English translation of an old, old English word, Midgard. Or is Midgard the Norse? I forget. Anyway, my, my you know languages aren't that good. Point being, lots of terms are trademarked, and so you do need to be careful about how you use them. So, if you, I think you would have a harder case proving trademark infringement if, say, you named your event, you know, something really, this would sound so bland and generic, but something like an event in which we, you know, have a broad general discussion about Tolkien's works for fun. That's a really terrible name for an event, but I think if you named it that, you'd have a really hard time proving that that's actually a trademark infringement, because at that point, nobody is going to assume that you have the approval of the Tolkien estate just because you're using the word Tolkien in it. So, again, general rule, broad application, but many nuances and exceptions not stated for space reasons. Okay, here's one that got a lot of people worried, and this one's about fan fiction. Can I publish fan fiction or other books or materials based on Tolkien's works? Answer. The Tolkien estate has a duty to protect the integrity of Tolkien's original writings and artworks and takes copyright very seriously. This means that you cannot copy any part of Tolkien's writings or images, nor can you create materials which refer to the characters, stories, places, events, or other elements contained in any of Tolkien's works. Now, this gets back to what I said earlier about the copyright protecting not only the right to copy the original work, but also to make derivative works. And 
you know, you've got movies, plays, things like that, but also fan fiction would be a derivative work. So if you write a fan fiction about, say, Aragorn between the ages of 30 and 45, which Tolkien never really wrote in any great detail, that's going to be violating copyright. Now, notice here, the question specifically asks, can I publish fan fiction? Okay, that's the key here, because... If you just write fan fiction for fun, there's nothing they can do. You're not doing anything that violates copyright if you just do it for your own fun. And even if you share it with just a handful of people. But if you start publishing it wide, you know, far and wide over the internet, that's when it does kind of become a problem. Because now you are creating a derivative work and publishing it in a way that potentially conflicts with the original copyright and therefore runs into a problem. Now... Do we think that the Tolkien estate is really going to go after literally every fan fiction published online somewhere? They probably don't have the resources for that. It's probably not possible. Uh, might they go after some of the more prominent examples as in order to set an example? Possibly. Now, again, we have to remember all these FAQs were not here before. So there's some question as to whether this signals a move by the estate to really start being a little stricter about this versus is it just something that they put on the website now that they updated it and had more time to really put into the website? Eh. I mean, if the Tolkien estate hadn't done things in the last 30 years, you might wonder why they might start doing it now. But you also have the case of the fact that Christopher Tolkien has now died and they're, you know, in this project now with Amazon making the show, making lots of money, are they really starting to think in terms of, well, we want to make sure that we protect the ability of this name and this brand to earn money into the future, and therefore we're going to start squelching anything that we see as being problematic to that? I mean, that's all speculation at that point. Obviously, none of us have a mind read on any of the members of the estate or their lawyers or anything like that. So, I mean, you know, if that's kind of a risk tolerance thing. If your risk tolerance is really low then just do not publish anything like Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Just don't do it. If your risk tolerance is fairly high, you know, I mean, and you don't think you're really going to get tagged by anything because you're never going to get anywhere, maybe you risk it. But, you know, that's kind of an individual decision. But again, legally speaking, the derivative work, i.e. fan fiction, would be something protected by the copyright. So, again, it comes down to that distinction of Writing it versus publishing it. Keep that in mind. Alright, here's another one. Can I publish a Tolkien fanzine? Again, answer. The name Tolkien is a registered trademark and may not be used without permission. Unfortunately, permission cannot be given for publications which use the name Tolkien or the Tolkien Estate's copyright materials. So, again, here, they almost don't even really answer the question directly because the question was not can I make a fanzine that has the name Tolkien in it but that's kind of the question they really answered so what would a Tolkien fanzine look like if it didn't use the name Tolkien or any other registered trademark or any of the copyrighted materials held by the estate well what I mean like you're gonna talk about stuff and you're gonna I mean like fanzines don't usually just reprint wholesale anything so I mean I'm not sure they even really answered the question and and this is I think where a lot of people are getting panicked as they see 
this question that looks so innocent, like, can I do this? And everybody's like, well, sure, you could do that. And then they're like, no. Except they're not really saying no to that question. And so you have to take that in mind and realize that when they say that, they're really just kind of giving the same boulderplate response over and over again. So, like, could you create a fanzine about Tolkien's materials? Yeah, as long as you don't make the name of the fanzine something with Tolkien in it, and you don't actually reproduce any of the copyrighted materials, like long passages from Lord of the Rings or something like that. As long as you're not doing those two things, you can create a fanzine, and it's not going to violate either trademark or copyright. So, is it going to gain traction if you don't have the name Tolkien in it? Maybe not as much, but again, that's just kind of a limitation that you have to deal with. And again, you do have the that like that really horrible example I gave earlier, a magazine in which we like to talk about things written by Tolkien because they're fun. Is that really going to be trademark violation? I would say probably not, because again, at that point, you have made it abundantly clear you're not really associated with the Tolkien estate, and you're not going to be confused with it. But does anybody want to buy a magazine with that title? Eh. So, again, I don't think that we're getting anything really new here. It's just the way the question and the answer are paired together, and the way the answer is written makes it sound worse than it is. So it's just another one where... Again, we're not really learning anything new. The next one that I want to note here is actually not like a substantive question, but they did put one FAQ in here that was, how can I report copyright infringement? So you could definitely take that one as a signal, like I said earlier, that they're going to be a little more aggressive about protecting their copyright in the future. So that being the case, you know, putting stuff out there on the internet for everybody to see, it may increase your odds of getting caught because now they're specifically saying, hey, here's some contact information we can use to report copyright and trademark infringement. So, you know, like I said, that may be a signal that they're going to be a lot more aggressive in the future. Keep that in mind. So the next substantive one is, can I write in Tolkien's invented languages or use Tolkien's invented scripts? And this one is an interesting one, and I'll get to it in a minute, but for now, here's the answer. Tolkien's invented languages and scripts are protected by copyright. You may use them for your own private interest and amusement, but you may not reproduce them in any form of publication or in connection with any group activity, commercial or otherwise. Now, again, this one I think we really have to take with a grain of salt because it says, you can't use it, and it's like, well, no, you can, because there are exceptions to copyright called fair use, and there are exceptions to all these things. I mean, so... To the extent that they're stating a general rule, yes, that's true. Um, And, of course, they do give the specific caveat of you can do it for your own private amusement. And I've done that. I kept a journal with Tinguar script for several years. Um, And so that's obviously not being published anywhere. And it's literally for my own private, you know, it's it's for me only. So obviously that's not going to violate any copyright or anything like that. Now... The tricky part here that I mentioned earlier is it's somewhat debatable whether a conlang, constructed language, is actually copyrightable. It's not 100% clear, and it's also not 100% clear that, say, an invented script would be copyrightable. Arguably, the script would have a better case for it because the script is in some ways more artistic than the language because the language 
is language is inherently a useful thing, right? Uh, and there's there's a famous case, there's actually a couple famous cases that I noted when I was kind of doing a little bit of research on this. There's the whole issue of Klingon. Does anybody own the language Klingon? Or can just anybody use it for anything and nobody can do anything about it? That's kind of a point in contention. I don't think it's been resolved yet. Another point in contention is computer code, which is a form of language. Oracle and Microsoft have a dispute that's been going on for years, which I also don't think has been resolved, about that issue. Because Microsoft uses Java, which was written by Oracle, and the question is, does it constitute something that you can copyright? Well, it's a useful thing, obviously, so yeah, maybe, maybe not. Because it is a language, and in some form it's a result of a creative endeavor, right? So this whole idea of whether you can copyright thing, these things is a little bit tricky. I think the scripts probably, like I said, have a better case for being copyrightable because they are more artistic in a sense. But there's no denying that a language, even if it's a fictional one, is useful insofar as two people who know the fictional language can converse in it without other people knowing what they're saying. So it's still useful, whether it's considered a useful thing in the way that it takes it out of copyright protection. Eh. So this is one where, you know, I could, you know, share, like, something I wrote in Tingwar, as a lot of people have been sharing, you know, things like tattoos they got with Tingwar script on their arms and things like that. Does that count as copyright violation? I doubt it. Uh, I really don't think that that would count as copyright violation. I don't think the Tolkien estate could ever tag anybody who had a tattoo in Tingwar for sharing a photo of it on Twitter. I, I just, I don't see that happening. Um, so, and the other thing is, it's like, what market exactly are you taking away from by showing something in Tingwar? The Anybody who knows Tingwar, it's just a thing you can write. You're not, <laughs> you can't buy Tingwar script. So, I have my doubts about really how far they could take this one. That said, again, outside the U.S., I don't know what the real rules are, so I'm speaking purely from a U.S. point of view, and that limits my ability to comment. And also, like I said, the whole issue of whether these are copyrightable at all is still somewhat up for question. So, you know, if if a court comes down one way or the other, that'll make it a little easier to peg which answer is correct and how much leeway you have in going in, in any of these directions. So, you know, keep that in mind. Be aware of updates on those kinds of things. But if I had to put my, you know, money where my mouth is, I'd say probably it's going to be really hard to enforce a claim for copyright for the use of Tinguar script, ever. Unless you're using it, like in a derivative work, say, fanfiction. That might be a problem. Alright, the next one should be no surprise. Can I sell Tolkien-related merchandise? Well, the answer ought to be pretty easy, but let's see what the answer is. You may not manufacture or sell any items that include the text of Tolkien's works or his artwork, nor may you use the names Tolkien or J.R.R. Tolkien or the J.R.R.T. monogram or signature, all of which are registered trademarks. The Tolkien estate takes action against the individuals who sell infringing merchandise on eBay, Etsy, Redbubble, and similar websites. So, don't use any 
Elvish script. Don't use Tolkien's name. Don't, you know, various different things like that. Don't put it on your t-shirts. So, like, if I started a, a Teespring store on my YouTube channel, it might be a problem if I put the name of my podcast or channel, the Tolkien Lore Channel, on the t-shirt. Because then I kind of am capitalizing on Tolkien's name. Is it really a copyright or trademark violation? Eh, I mean, maybe that's a tricky question, but it's not one that I would really want to try to fight the Tolkien estate over because I don't have unlimited resources and they made lots of money off of their deal with, you know, you know they've, they've got plenty of money uh, and plenty of really good lawyers, I'm sure. So not, not a fight that I'm willing to engage in. But if I wanted to make a t-shirt that makes a perfectly good joke based on Tolkien's materials, do I think that they could tag me for it? Not if I didn't put anything just really explicitly registered trademarked in it. Uh, so there's, you know, but the overall answer is easy, of course, because it's like, of course, I don't have the right to make Tolkien-related merchandise. I can't, you know, like the shirt that I'm wearing, breakfast, second breakfast, 11, you know, I'm wearing this shirt, and whoever made the shirt, I almost certainly had to buy the license to make the shirt, because, you know, I mean, that's really identifiable with Tolkien's works. So, you know, that kind of thing you wouldn't want to do, ever. So here's another one. Can I set Tolkien's works to music? Answer. While everyone is free to compose music, the Tolkien estate does not permit the setting of Tolkien's words to music. Nor can you use the Tolkien name, book titles, or any of the text of Tolkien's work. You know, the, that kind of thing. Same, same kind of boilerplate language, right? So you can make... And here again, you have to understand the difference between making and publishing. You can make whatever music you want with whatever words you want as long as you don't publish it. Because if you don't publish it, you can't be in violation of copyright. If you do it for your own private amusement, meh, doesn't matter. So the only issue is going to be if you start, you know, like if you set some of the Elvish hymns to Elbereth to music and start slapping that on a record and selling it, now you got a problem because really that's a derivative work. You would need to get a license to make that music and sell it before you could actually start doing that. Now, if you just want to make the music and listen to it yourself, eh, go ahead. Can't stop you. So again, the way the answer is written ignores a little bit of nuance here, but this is also just a standard thing. Like, you can't make music based on something without getting a license for it. That's that's fairly normal. So that really shouldn't be that surprising. So you know, again, not a not a huge deal here. Okay, now this is maybe the most significant one. Can I get permission to quote from Tolkien's works? Answer. All bona fide requests for permission to quote from Tolkien's published work should be addressed to HarperCollins Publishers at email address. Information about permission to quote from Tolkien's unpublished works will be given to scholars consulting the Tolkien archives by the archivists at those institutions, the Bodleian Library and the Marquette University. All right, can you quote from Tolkien's works? Of course you can quote from Tolkien's works. I mean, the question is, at what point do you violate copyright? And again, your jurisdiction may have different rules, but if I'm doing it for fair use, I can do it in the U.S. whether or not I got permission. I don't have to have permission from the Tolkien estate or HarperCollins or whoever to quote, like, one line from the Silmarillion in a video like 30 minutes long in which I am 
talking about one particular character. I don't even necessarily have to have copyright, I mean, permission from the copyright holder to quote, like, a couple of verses of poetry if I then go on and say, now here's how Tolkien is, you know, like, literally the Tolkien professor does this on a regular basis, right? And is exploring the Lord of the Rings. He quotes verbatim from the Lord of the Rings all the time. Does he have explicit permission to do that? Maybe he does, but I suspect he probably didn't have to, even if he did. Because the whole thing is like, he's not, there's no sense in which the Tolkien professors exploring the Lord of the Rings series is actually a a uh, substitute for the original work. If you wanted to get the the entire works of the Lord of the Rings out of the exploring the Lord of the Rings, first of all, it would take you tons of editing to make that work because he quotes like three sentences and then they talk for an hour. You can't do it. Uh, but that's you know that's the nature of fair use, right? If I am providing commentary, criticism, analysis, that sort of thing, that's when you start getting into fair use territory, which is what I do on this channel all the time. I don't often directly quote from Tolkien, but when I do, it's usually a fairly small amount, and then I go on a lot of analysis, not, you know, I'm not just quoting huge long sections of Tolkien and then doing no commentary for the most part. So, I mean, that, you know... To say that you have to get permission just to quote it, that's not really accurate, at least in the U.S. In Great Britain, it might be. I don't know. Don't know about that, again. so, But to say that you have to get permission to quote from The Lord of the Rings if you're doing a book about The Lord of the Rings in one particular form or another, you know, I mean, there's just, there's no way that you could actually do a copyright claim on that. It's it's just not that that's so clearly fair use as long as you meet, you know, all those factors and you're not just regurgitating the book with no commentary. That's that's clearly fair use. So again, this one I think the answer really oversteps unless again in Great Britain they have different rules and that's what they have in mind when they say that. So here's another one about derivative works. Can I produce a play or other entertainment based on Tolkien's works? Again, this one should be an easy answer. Copyright protects the ability to make derivative works. The answer should be a simple no, right? And then here it says, It would represent a breach of copyright to make an adaptation of Tolkien's works, dramatic or otherwise, and you may not create any materials which refer to the characters, stories, places, events, or other elements contained in any of Tolkien's works. I mean, we've already been over this. We don't really need to say any more. Alright, and here's one that might be a big deal for several people. Can I perform readings of Tolkien's works? Readings of Tolkien's works in any setting which is open to the public will require permission whether the event is commercial or otherwise. Requests for permission should be granted should be directed rather to HarperCollins Publishers at email. Readings may not be recorded or broadcast, which means that they may not be streamed or uploaded for distribution being via the internet. The Tolkien Estate takes action in respect of unauthorized audiobooks and readings of Tolkien's works posted on websites and social media. Well, some of you probably know that there are unauthorized audiobooks out there that I will not name, and which a lot of people really love. They might be in trouble um, based on this. 
but this again is a fairly simple, straightforward one because again, this is like you don't get to just read the book out loud in public because that undercuts the market for the original material, right? And it undercuts the market for any authorized audiobook. So this one is relatively straightforward. The one thing I want to note is they direct they say that you should direct your inquiries to HarperCollins. Why is that? Because the Tolkien estate doesn't own the copyright to the book. The book copyright is held by HarperCollins because they're the ones that have the rights to publish it. So, you know, Tolkien owned the original copyright and he gave the right to the book to Alan and Unwin originally, obviously, and then it got, you know, it ended up in various hands. Businesses have changed over time and rights have been sold and whatever over time. Same with the movies. The movie rights went to somebody else. So again, this is that issue of who owns what part of the copyright, which work is copyrighted, who owns what right to do what with it. You know, these are all different questions that you have to keep in mind. So this is a really good FAQ to kind of summarize a lot of different aspects because you have to keep in mind who held the original copyright, what aspects of that did he sell, to whom, to do what. So you have to keep all of these different moving parts in your mind whenever you start looking at this kind of stuff. So, but again, here's another example where, and, and they actually do provide a, a little bit of nuance because they say in public, you know, anything that's open to the public, and they say you can't record it, which means you can't publish and distribute it on the internet. So, like, I can record myself reading The Lord of the Rings for the purpose of, let's say, like, having my kids listen to it in lieu of me having to read it over and over again. I could do that. If I wanted to perform my own dramatic reading of the work, I can do that with my family. That's not in public. And if I record that, and as long as I keep that within the family, and it doesn't go anywhere, that is also not violating copyright. So they actually do kind of provide some nuance, although they like they say you can't record it, which means something besides record it. I mean, they, it's not a well-written answer in that regard, but it, it it provides enough nuance that you really do get the point here, unlike some of the other ones where they say things that are so overly broad that it's like, I don't think you can really say that much. Again, that may depend on your jurisdiction. Some of what they say may be not overly broad depending on where you are. Again, I am only giving U.S.-based information here and again disclaimer because this is, this is the last one by the way so i'm just gonna get, kind of wrap up here with some thoughts but before i wrap up with the thoughts again disclaimer i may be an attorney but i am not an ip attorney if you have any really serious questions about this stuff and you know anybody who does ip law copyright trademark whatever talk to them and get a better idea because they will more likely know way more than I do. I just know how to do legal research and I know enough about the basics to give a broad overview. And I only know that about U.S. law. So don't take me for anything. I am worthless if you're doing anything outside the U.S. And I am not really worth a whole lot in the U.S. if you're talking about a serious question. I'm just giving pretty broad information here. That said, let's look at the overall picture that we've got and see how serious is this, right? As I've mentioned in response to several of these, the question and answer are not always very simpatico. They don't really go together that well. Some of the questions aren't 
strictly answered by the answers. And the real signal to the extent that we get one may be that they are going to be more aggressive in enforcing their copyright than they were in the past. But that doesn't change what copyright and trademark law actually allows them to enforce. So most of what they're saying in here is kind of standard boilerplate trademark and copyright law, which, I mean, most everybody should know. The one area where I think a lot of people are going to potentially be worried is the issue of fan fiction, because a lot of people write fan fiction. Again, are you publishing it, or are you just writing it for your own fun, maybe the fun of a few friends or family? If you're just keeping it within a small circle, not a huge deal. Not a problem. If you're publishing it on the internet for everybody to read, that's a problem. Uh, whether or not the Tolkien estate has made moves against those kinds of things in the past may be signaled to change now into the future. Maybe they're going to be doing things about that that they haven't done in the past. And another major thing that I want to point out here is, to the extent that things are not really just boilerplate, trademark, and copyright, a lot of the answers they provide are, again, kind of lacking nuance, and so you have to understand the general rule, but you also have to understand the exceptions. And a lot of the time, what they're stating is the general rule, but not giving anything like any of the exceptions. And... You know, this is written from the Tolkien Estate's perspective, so of course they're not super interested in telling you, here's all the ways you can get around us with a loophole, right? That's not what they're interested in. It's kind of like, you know, if you've seen my video on how I had to fight back against Warner Brothers on YouTube for copyright claims, Warner Brothers is not interested in, you know, analyzing every little thing for, is this fair use? That's not what they're spending their time on. They're spending their time on making sure that the copyright is protected. And then it's the other person's job, basically, to fight back and say, I'm not messing with your copyright because this is fair use and here's why. Now, sometimes I think whoever's running the Warner Brothers show for, you know, handling copyright on YouTube, whoever's doing that, and and there's probably a lot of low-level people doing that, but... If, if there are, the lot of low-level people doing it are not very well-informed because I can provide a simple response in my first thing and give a pretty clear idea of, yeah, this is fine. You don't need to be trying to claim this, and they'll still fight back. And then I have to give even more detail, and then they're like, okay, we're fine. It's like, yeah, because you should have listened the first time. Um, so, I mean, it, it the fight is always a little bit lopsided in that regard, But the main point here is the Tolkien estate, you have to remember, is writing these FAQs from the perspective of somebody who has the copyright and trademark and is protecting it and basically saying, you can't do this. And the rest of us are looking at that going, yeah, but we kind of know we can do some of that because everybody's always done it and everybody does do it. And it's not, and again, not just because everybody does it, that doesn't make it okay, but it's the fact that enough people who are smart do it tells you that it's not obviously wrong in all cases. So again, there's a lot of nuance that's left out of these FAQs because they're not interested in giving you that. They're interested in saying, here's the boundaries. And it's kind of up to you, unfortunately, to understand that some of those boundaries are a little porous and you don't necessarily have to treat them as an electric fence. So... 
that's kind of my overall summation here. And like I said, the one thing that I think all of us should potentially take away from this is that if anything has changed, it is not what they can and can't do. It's what they're willing to do. And again, none of us can read their minds on that, and so we don't really know what they're willing to do, and therefore there's a lot of open question there. It's it's not clear whether they're going to be a lot more aggressive, maybe just a little more aggressive. Are they only going to go after people that are, say, writing fan fiction that really just is, you know, really derogatory to the original work? Or are they going to do stuff for, you know, basically anybody who uses the name Tolkien in any kind of situation and then, like Warner Brothers, let the other person figure out why there's an exception to it? You know, I mean... There's no way to know. So, again, a lot of this for you as the person who might, in you know, in some circumstance use the trademark or copyright material, a lot of that comes down to your risk tolerance. How much risk are you willing to take? If you've already got two copyright strikes on your channel, on YouTube, you probably have a really low risk tolerance. If you've never had one and, you know, you don't have any problems with your channel, you might have a little bit more and then... If they come back with a strike on you and you know that you can't fight it, then you have a better idea of what they're actually willing to do and how much time they're willing to spend doing it. So, I mean, for example, my channel is still so small that it might take them a while to really find much of anything on my channel to be worth copyright striking over or trademark infringement or whatever. But bigger channels that are more noticeable, they might find more easily and do more damage to. So... You know, if you're doing anything that constitutes really obvious copyright violation, like, say, reading really long passages directly from Tolkien's published or unpublished works, and some of you might know who I'm talking about, uh, you might want to consider not having those videos or other media public any longer. Just a thought. Uh, but again, risk tolerance. So... That's my take on the Tolkien Estates FAQ, what it means for us as the fans and all that stuff. I hope this was informative. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. If you have any really serious questions that you're thinking about your own stuff and you want to know whether it violates copyright, find an attorney who specializes in this stuff. Please. I am not giving legal advice. I am not even giving a thorough legal education. Don't take this for any of that. This is just kind of some broad thoughts on it. And again, do your due diligence too because you need to do your own research on things and you know assess your own risk tolerance. You really have to do that. So that said, I hope you enjoy the video. hope you got some information out of it. hope you are less worried now than you were before if you were worried. Um, and you know if you're still really worried, then you know, assessing your own risk tolerance might mean you just pull out of this altogether. I, I'd hate to see for anybody do that, but for some people, that's, you know, what they might end up doing, depending on how much they have at stake and how many potential violations they have out there. So just, you know, keep all of that in mind. But if you did find this video useful, then please do give it a thumbs up. Share it with anybody else who might be having questions about this sort of thing. You know, everybody could probably you know, stand to have a little bit of education on this, but also for more general Tolkien-related content, not usually on such a uh, dark, dire note, 
please do subscribe to my channel and click that uh, bell icon to make sure you get all my notifications. You can also find me on Rumble and Odyssey, and I have podcast versions, as I've mentioned before in this video. And you could follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore for occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. Pretty sure that's not a trademark violation, by the way. And you could support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namarie.